a trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership. And the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, once again, welcome to The Brian Hyde Show. Fellow wrong thinkers, I'm joined by Eric Peters. Eric, I feel like I had to pay you a nickel every time I use that word wrong thinker because I think you were the one who coined the phrase right here on this program. Well, we have to share and spread the wealth when it comes to things like this. Um, I'll give you one that was given to me by a reader uh, for children who were force masked by their parents, and uh, we'll style them masklings from here on out. How about that? Uh, I laugh only because I'd be crying if, if, if I were I know. laughing. I know. So tell me, tell me how you're doing. We're less than a week out from the election. I know that a lot of people, myself included, have a small case of indigestion, uh, mm-hmm. wondering about what will come. Um, give me your, your best gut feeling on what comes next Tuesday. Well, first of all, I'm continuing to have the audacity to show my face, bad man that I am. Uh, no diaper has yet crossed my mug and never will, regardless of the consequences. In the second place, I think it's extraordinarily difficult to make any kind of an accurate prediction about how the election is going to go because we're just deluged with clearly politicized information at this point. The coverage of the election is analogous to the coverage of the Wu flu. We're getting this misinformation about the cases, the cases, without any context. And then we're getting this polling data that seems very contrived to make it look as though it's a fate accompli that the hair-plugged man is going to beat the orange man. So I don't know. Uh, it seems that the, the establishment, the cons- consolidated corporate media, obviously, and the intelligentsia very much wants Biden to win, is trying to create the impression that he's going to win. On the other hand, Trump appears to have, uh, uh, as last time, back in 2016, an incredibly, incredibly motivated base. Wherever he goes, there are large crowds. People seem to be very enthusiastic about him. And for all his faults, I'll be there voting, showing my face for the orange man, orange man as well next week. Yeah, you know, one of the things that uh, that really stands out to me, too, is Trump actually had COVID, beat it, and is out there holding, what, you know, three campaign events a day as uh, the, sure. the final day of the election, you know, the actual election approaches. Um, what What is his uh, opponent doing? He's hunkered down in his basement. Yeah, and, you know, using that verbiage, beat it, I mean, the guy got a cold. You know, before this, this, this weaponized hypochondria, this mass hysteria, afflicted the country. If you'd gone back just a year ago, oh, the president has a cold, the president contracted the flu, and that would have been it. It would have been a minor, minor page B3 little two-inch story, and nobody would have thought anything of it because it's normal for people to catch cold and catch the flu and not die and come back from it. So here you've got a guy who's, what is he, 74 years old, and he's a little bit on the beefy side, and he got it and was back within a week. Yeah. What does well, that tell you about the, the virulence of the virus? Well, and that's, that's I think, part of uh, some of the rage that's being directed at him right now by the media, among others, is he's not playing to the narrative, this is the most dangerous thing, and the only thing that's left in our lives is to do whatever it takes to avoid it, even if it means well, you know, that we surrender whatever remains of our freedoms. He, there's a fascinating aspect of this whole mass hysteria, and it is the, the immunity of these people from uh, from. from accepting the slightest jot of good news about anything. It's as if they are motivated to marinate in the worst possible news, and most of that news being asserted, not actual. 
So they'll marinate and talk of the cases are rising, the cases are rising. But they won't say, well, wait a minute, the death toll is way down. People don't seem to be dying from this. This is really good news. Really, for the most part, people are generally not going to have to worry about this unless they're already very elderly and already very frail, those being the category of people who do stand some risk of uh, of an uh, unpleasant outcome from this, but that's always been the case. If you're 85 years old and have COPD, the flu can kill you. The, a common cold can kill you, right. and that's what's happening with this thing. Well, and, and you uh, had a recent article uh, about the modern Mayflower, um, yep. talking about how you know the, the chances are very good we're facing some kind of increasing mandate. I mean, I'm seeing yep. this at the local level. I'm seeing this at the state level. If Biden gets in, he's saying there will be a national mandate for masks and so forth. Yep. We're being backed into a corner, and you are making right. a very strong case for how mobility may be how to retain what remains of your autonomy. Yeah, well, I, I mentioned the Mayflower because uh, history lesson here, of course, that was when people from Europe uh, who couldn't take being persecuted any longer by European authoritarian totalitarians decided to just beat feet and get away from them to the extent that they could. And that may be the last-ditch solution for people who don't want to give in to this weaponized hypochondria and go play sickness kabuki for the rest of their lives. It may be necessary to simply cash out, get what you can, and maybe buy an RV, that's what I talked about in the article, and go somewhere, somewhere where, where this psychosis hasn't taken over, and you have the ability to pick up and move at the drop of a hat. It's kind of alarming right now to be tied down. You know, I'm, I'm concerned. I live in Virginia, which used to be a relatively free state, but we're now run by a very authoritarian governor, and if things go badly next week, it's entirely possible that some sort of hideous regime may come down where not only are you compelled to wear that diaper all the time, but they're going to insist that you get needled as well. The, the governor floated that idea just about a, two months ago, I think it was, before he had to retract it. So it's, it's quite worrisome. Yeah, and as you mentioned in your article, this is less about slowing the spread of the disease and more to slow the spread of dissent. Yeah, exactly right. You know, the, the, one of the aspects of the forced diapering is to create this image, literally a visual, of universal agreement with the narrative that we're all about to die from the Wu flu. By not wearing that diaper, you're expressing dissent, skepticism. You're letting it be seen that, no, you're not worried about getting sick. And, no, you, you aren't going to pretend that you're sick because some hypochondriac thinks that you might be sick. And that is what they're trying to suppress. So how, how, um, how would one go about becoming mobile? Because, look, I'm one of those people. I, I'm, I'm chained to my stuff, my house yeah. and, and so forth, my kids. I've got all my eggs in one basket. That's, that's mm -hmm. a pretty tall order. But, but I see the wisdom in what you're saying. Well, I have all my eggs in one basket, too. You know, I've got my house here in rural southwest Virginia. I've got my great pumpkin, the orange Trans Am, my motorcycles, and all of those things. But, oddly enough, the real estate market is, is actually booming in rural areas because a lot of people are fleeing the urban areas, trying to get away from what is very clearly coming. So if you were to put your house on the market, if you're lucky enough to live in a rural area right now, you could probably get a lot of money for it. And you could use some of that money to go ahead and buy one of these nice RVs outright and then just have that additional cash to finance your escape and then figure it out as you go. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm not saying I'm going to do that, but the thought has crossed my mind. Well, and you, you make the, the point here, they will come for the dissenters. At some point, yes, absolutely. if they keep pushing this the way that it's going, uh, the dissenters are going to be targeted. Uh, maybe mobility is the best way to take that heat off. Mm-hmm. 
it's gotten so bad uh, in other parts of the world that they're actually attempting to enforce diapering within people's homes. They are sending uh, cops to people's houses uh, on the pretext that, well, there might be a child in the house and the child might be exposed to the virus if the mm. parents don't put on the diaper. And you can just kind of see where this cavalcade tends. Uh, so you know, you're going to have random police visits to your house. Maybe they're going to start requiring that you have cameras in your house to make sure that you're constantly diapered at all times and following all of these, these, these demeaning, degrading, totalitarian medical protocols that they're insisting we all follow. It's enough. I mean, you know, for myself, I'm not looking for a fight. It's the last thing that I want. But I won't put up with this. Whatever it takes, I will not put up with this. No, agreed. And I, I'm trying to remember if it was – I'm pretty sure it was Australia – particularly the state of Victoria. I saw a news report yesterday where uh, the police commissioner there was making the announcement, if you have, like, for instance, family come over for the holidays, we will come in and break up your parties. He's speaking, we'll send the police in to break up your family gatherings. Exactly right. You know, they are literally treating us like cattle. And by the way, I think it's I think it's telling that they use the term herd now openly, as in herd immunity. You know, we're, we're human beings. We're not cattle. I don't like being referred to as part of a herd. No, <laughs> and, and I don't like being fitted for an ear tag either, although I, I appreciate uh, your protest earlier this year with the, the ear tags, mm-hmm. you know, that showed us as corona cattle. So, yeah, I try to reach people when I have a conversation with them. You know, for example, if somebody accosts you about the, you know, the not having of the mask, you can ask them something like, well, do you think, how would you feel if I expected you to wear handcuffs um, or keep your hands visible at all times because I felt that you might be a thief? Would you not feel somewhat degraded by that request? And in fact, uh, and is it not the same thing? These people are, are expecting people who are perfectly healthy, who have given absolutely no reason to suspect that they are disease-ridden, disease-spreaders, as if they are, and there's a really disgusting aspect to that that I don't think anybody who is in their right mind would want to put up with. Okay, I'm going to have a link to your article, uh, the new, May- the modern Mayflower. We'll put that in the show notes, which my listeners can find at thebrianhydeshow.com. We've got to take a very quick break. Again, we'll continue our conversation with Eric Peters from epautos.com. I would encourage you, if you don't spend some time on his uh, on his website each day, you should. You'll not only find some great uh, food for thought, you'll find some great uh, information about all things automotive. And the comments from his readers are very enlightening as well. We'll be back right after this. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Once again, welcome back to the show. Eric Peters from epautos.com is my guest. Eric, uh, I know you had a recent article. In fact, I think this one just posted this morning. The yep, home- just a few hours ago. The homeschool you pay for twice. Yep. Oh, boy. Let's let's dive <laughs> in here. Um, I, my wife being a school teacher, this can be kind of, uh, you know, touchy territory mm-hmm. for me, but um, we've seen we've seen kind of a hybrid. Some students schooling mm-hmm. at home, some uh, schooling at school, albeit under limited conditions due to the COVID scare. But talk to me about uh, the gist of, of this uh, this message that a reader had sent you concerning school at home. Mm-hmm. Well, the reader actually is a teacher also and wrote to me to complain about the fact 
that they are effectively being forced to teach at home now in his particular area uh, and, and not be able to use the facilities, the school, that, they're tax pay, that, they're ta- that they were taxed to pay for. So you're not getting any kind of a discount uh, for the taxes that you pay to, find these, to finance these schools, which you're also forced to pay for. And now, even worse than that, is that the government is now inside your house, literally inside your house. These, uh, these at-home classrooms, um, in many cases, they require that the kid uh, hook up a video camera or an audio system or something so that the government can watch the kid to make sure the kid is doing whatever they're supposed to be doing during quote-unquote school hours. But now you've got Big Brother in your house. You know, it's not, it's not just the kid that's being watched. It's you that's being watched. And if the government doesn't like what you're doing in your house, that becomes the pretext, again, for the government to sick cops on you, you know, to come to your house and say, well, we saw your kid got up and went to the refrigerator and, you know, blah, 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 whatever, the, whatever excuse they want to come up with, it's another, it's another invasion of our personal space. The, you know, the idea that our house used to be our castle, it's now the government's castle. Well, and I, I'm sure you've seen some of the horror stories of kids who had like a Nerf gun in the background or a BB yes. gun sitting, you know, on the wall. And because it was visible, you know, the school invoked, well, we have a zero tolerance policy for weapons in our school as if the kid yep. had brought the gun to school. Exactly. Yeah, that, that was um, an incident in which the, the kid was, I guess, in his room working. That, that had been converted into the at-home classroom. And the camera, of course, spied uh, the kid's Nerf gun in the background and that became analogous to having an assault rifle, I guess, in the house, and they actually sent the police to the house. And it was all dissipated uh, as an obvious misunderstanding, but the point is how alarming that sort of thing is. Is it going to get to the point where if the camera sees uh, a wrong thinkful book, let's say, on the kid's desk, something that perhaps deviates from the orthodoxy, whether it has to do with history or perhaps this whole woo-flu thing, is that going to be the excuse to send out the Hut Hut crew? It does not seem too extravagantly unrealistic to me. Wow. I, you know, I've been on guard for this kind of stuff for so many years that it's almost second nature to look at, oh, yeah, that looks like tyranny. But the, mm-hmm. the quickness with which this has taken root in, in the wake of, of COVID-19 is frankly astonishing. Well, what they've, what they've achieved is mass hysteria. And when you have a hysterical mass the mass will pretty much do whatever it is told to do because it's terrified. So this is sort of the the knee plus ultra, the the the, the most finely diluted 190 proof uh, distillation of something that's been attempted before. The last time they tried it was with the prospect of ululating Islamic terrorists. That didn't work so well. Uh, they've tried it with the Earth is about to uh, to implode because of climate change. That didn't work too well. So now they came up with this phantasmagorical boogeyman that nobody can see, and death is in the air, and it becomes the pretext for absolutely limitless control of everything. And sadly, millions of Americans have simply swallowed the whole thing, hook, line, and sinker. Well, yeah, they've, they've become uh, willing enablers and enforcers of, you know, the mask mandates and the social distancing. And um, I, I assume they're, you know, they're, they're doing so because they feel like I'm being a good citizen. I'm just trying to protect people. They don't recognize what they're trading, though, in return for that promised security. That's part of it. There's also a psychological element that I think is worth discussing, and, and that is the yin-yang of masochism and sadism. On the one hand, you've got the masochist. You know, they've got their diaper on. They're standing six feet apart. They're going through all the sickness kabuki. And it's a wretched, miserable thing to have to live that way. And then enters the sadism. They see other people who aren't 
participating in sickness kabuki who aren't wearing the face diaper, and they want to make them suffer too. There's a, there's a very strong aspect or element of that going on in this whole vicious evil phenomenon. You know, um, there, there's also in your, in your article about uh, the homeschool you pay for twice, there's a great lesson there that, uh, that may be painful for some about uh, what it really means to be taxed, to pay for the schools, and to, to think mm-hmm. that you own your property, but in fact uh, to learn that you really don't have property rights because, you know, as long as you're paying property tax, you are in effect a renter. Yeah, we'll call it what you will. The property tax reduces the homeowner, and I put that in, in the air quotes, to the status of a renter. If you have to pay money to somebody in order to not be evicted from your place, you're a renter, correct? Yeah. Well, that's what we are. Even people like uh, myself who um, own their home, and I put that in air quotes, I thought I paid for this house 17 years ago, but somehow I get a bill every six months uh, telling me, threatening me, that unless I hand over a, a pretty large sum of money, um, they will they will repossess my house. So, I mean, that makes me pretty confident in saying that I'm a renter. Yeah, because uh, the real, in air quotes, owner is, is threatening you if you don't pay up. Right, and they can enforce it. They will come and kick me out of the house I paid for 17 years ago uh, for not handing over the sum of money it arbitra- arbitrarily decrees that I, quote-unquote, owe them. So talk to me about uh, the, the parents who find themselves hosting a virtual classroom in their home. Uh, to what extent is the school district enforcing its dictates within that, uh, that co-opted space? Well, I assume it varies, but I think a really important um, and, and worrisome thing here applies specifically to homeschoolers, people who were teaching their kids at home before this mass hysteria picked up and who had a great degree of autonomy over what was taught to their kids and how. And I think that they should consider that they are under the same threat that other parents are generally with regard to having the government uh, assert its own lesson plan, if you will, on not just the kids who are learning from home, uh, who would ordinarily have been in the government school, but also on the homeschoolers. I, I think that that is a deliberate part of this agenda, to get rid of the cohort who are being, you know, being brought up to use their brains and think, and therefore are potential wrong thinkers. Interesting. And, and this, in conjunction with the other article about uh, the modern Mayflower, how a person might want to even consider becoming mobile for the sake of yeah. retaining what remains of their freedom, um, this just seems to, to support that idea that that may be your best bet is to not be in one place where you can be pinned down and taxed or otherwise controlled. Yeah, I think the take-home point here is that we've arrived at the juncture where we have got to stand our ground one way or another, whether that means picking up sticks and going somewhere where it's more free or simply refusing to obey anymore these, these cruel, degrading, demeaning uh, it, uh, uh, orders that are coming from the government that have... No purpose, no basis in anything medical, um, and which are calculated to turn us into a herd, to use that term, that can be led down the cattle chute and turned into hamburger. Eric, we've got about one minute left. Talk to me about uh, how goes the battle when you go out uh, maskless in public. Or what are you seeing these days? Well, the odd thing is that the enforcement of the diapering has all but gone in my area. I freely walk into... Uh, all the stores that I normally walk into with my face showing and nobody saying anything. But sadly, the, the diapers constitute 98 to 99% of, of the people within the store. It's as though people have acclimated to this, accepted this, put the bit in their mouth, so to speak, 
And it's very depressing. It's really depressing to see this. Uh, nobody has said anything to me, but it might be just because I'm a, a fairly big guy and maybe I radiate uh, a sense of, you better not bother me. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Confidence. But, yeah. I mean, I look people in the eye, and I'm not, again, I'm not looking for a fight, but I will stand my ground against anybody who accosts me with, with their, their insane, demented hypochondria. All right, Eric, it has been great visiting with you as, al- as always. We're going to have a lot to talk about next week for obvious reasons. I'll look yep. forward to that conversation as well. Here's hoping things go well. Thank you, Brian. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, once again, welcome back to the show. Please consider becoming a wrong thinker. You can do this a couple of ways. You can just choose to question the narrative, question the uh, conventional wisdom, and that's all good and, and dandy. You could also subscribe to this podcast where we revel in wrong think, and I would greatly appreciate it. You could even consider becoming a wrong thinker patron. Links are at the show notes, which you'll find at the com. These are, again, show notes for October 29th. Well, if you've recently become a firearms owner, you've probably been a little surprised at just how tough it is to find guns and ammo these days. I know uh, I've, I've been a longtime gun owner, longtime shooting enthusiast, and I'm shocked, mainly because I, I hear from people quite regularly who are just getting into the shooting sports or just decided, you know, maybe I should take responsibility for my own personal protection. And when they go shopping for a gun, you know, I mean, and I'm not telling you, these guys are, you know, trying to be live out some Rambo fantasy. They're just realizing, hmm, this may fall on my shoulders more so than uh, outsourcing it to, you know, the powers that be. I think that's a perfectly fine realization. I don't uh, fault them however long it took them. But it's tough. If you have been gun shopping lately, you'll notice uh, many of the shelves are empty in the gun stores. Ammo, very difficult to come by. And, of course, you know, it's, it's the old maxim of when's the best time to plant a tree? Well, the answer is 20 years ago. When was the best time to buy a gun and ammo? Well, I would say before COVID, definitely there was a, there was a lot of stuff available. But there's another aspect here, and that is uh, when's the best time to get trained? And that is now, like today. Look, it's great to have tools to protect yourself, but training is what turns those tools into something useful. I found an article earlier today. This is from the American Conservative, and it's by Michael Warren Davis. Americans can't get enough guns. Now, that may sound like a Democratic lament, right? This sounds like something Joe Biden would be lamenting. We're going to have to ban all those after I get elected. But thanks to the civil unrest, the chaos, and, of course, the looming election that have defined 2020, this has been a year where Americans have stocked up on guns at a record rate. Michael Warren Davis says his local gun dealer's website has a huge banner in the middle of the homepage that says, limited inventory, call ahead. So a few weeks ago, that's what he did. And the conversation went like this. Hey, you guys have any Remington 870s? Nope. Hmm. How about a Ruger SP-101? Nope. Smith & Wesson M&P? 
He just laughed. So in this case, uh, Michael Warren Davis says, uh, back in March, fear that COVID-19 would bring down the American economy drove firearm sales through the roof. He says our citizens quite sensibly wanted to be sure that should the United States devolve into a Mad Max-style warlord state, we could defend our canned beans and toilet paper with lethal force if necessary. Riots following the death of George Floyd in May further drained the supply of pistols and rifles commonly used for self-defense. Now, the 2020 election is just under a week away, and most polls are predicting a comfortable Biden victory. And he says the former vice president has promised to confiscate assault weapons, which is a scary-sounding name Democrats give to automatic and semi-automatic guns. That includes every rifle that fires more quickly than a blunderbuss and every pistol more advanced than a flintlock. Since most Americans don't fancy the idea of defending their homes with muskets, stockpiling continues to intensify. Now, he says one would assume that industry giants are on cloud nine, but not everyone is pleased. Soaring demand has created an incredibly unstable market, and gun makers have no idea how to respond. A similar boom in demand during the 2016 cycle led to an immediate bust after Election Day. Then, too, conservatives feared a President Hillary Clinton would enact new restrictions on firearm ownership. Those industry giants hired a wash of new workers to meet demand, but when Donald Trump rather unexpectedly won the day... Those companies were forced to effect major layoffs as their stock values dropped precipitously. So maybe it's not surprising that Winchester and Glock are wary of ramping up production. Yet this shortage has been worsening for the better part of a year, and most pollsters predict a blowout for the Democrats. If the blue wave does hit on November 3rd, gun sales are only likely to increase. So does Sig Sauer know something we don't? Is there some internal poll circulating the offices of Big Gun that shows the president winning handily? He says, alas, probably not. Alan Rice, a spokesman for Gun Owners of America, tells him that firearm sales have surged before every election dating back to at least 1988. True, the bump in 2016, 2016's election was extraordinary, even by election year standards. Yet demand for guns has been growing steadily over past decades and manufacturers were already struggling to keep up their supply in 2019. Now, he also spoke about the deficit with Mark Oliva, or Olivia rather, public affairs director for the National Shooting Sports Foundation. That's the largest trade associations for firearms manufacturers in the country. Mr. Olivia, he said, assures us they're working hard to keep up with this demand. They're adding third shifts and you need lead time to order raw materials. Even if we return to pre-COVID demand tomorrow, it would take six months to backstock inventory. And Mr. Rice agrees, saying, I've been told that the manufacturers are running at capacity, but raw materials are becoming difficult to source. So here the author says, as it happens, some friends and he were out hunting last weekend when they drove past the Ruger factory in Newport, New Hampshire. And they counted six huge banners along the road that said, we're hiring. Now, according to Glassdoor, that factory pays between $45,000 and $75,000 per annum. The Ruger website also lists competitive benefits, including life insurance and prescription drug coverage. That's nothing to spit at, especially, he says, here in the Granite State. Like virtually every company in America, they're probably having difficulty finding workers who are willing to show up on time and work hard. Still, he says, demand is going to keep growing. Right now, America is living through the largest buy-up of firearms in known history. So far this year, are you ready for this? Are you sitting down? The FBI has conducted over 15.4 million background checks on citizens looking to buy a new gun. 
That means the American people are purchasing between 1.6 and 2.2 million guns every month. For perspective, there were 15.7 million background checks in all of 2016. Mr. Olivia says, I bet my paycheck we're going to blow through that 2016 record. Yeah, no doubt. So he asked Mr. Olivia what's causing the surge in demand, and he pointed to civil unrest sparked by the death of George Floyd. People became very concerned about their safety. Police were saying they weren't going to respond to every 911 call because they don't have the manpower. Apparently, Mr. Rice feels the same way. His organization, the Gun Owners of America, a smaller, more hardline version of the NRA, is seeing an explosion in membership. He says, we've seen the COVID pandemic cause police departments to say that responses to calls for service will be limited. The riots in many cities have spurred many people who've never owned a firearm to purchase one. People are fearful. They're buying more guns and more ammunition for self-defense. And the Biden campaign certainly isn't helping. Mr. Olivia says, we've never seen a presidential candidate stand on the debate stage and threaten to confiscate weapons. They're not just coming after your individual rights. They're coming after the industry. Now, you remember President Obama joking back in 2016, I've been good for gun manufacturers. Yeah, he was the salesman of the year a couple of times. His attempts to heavily restrict the ownership of firearms did indeed cause a surge in sales, as did Bill Clinton's in 1994. But for gun owners, the prospect of a Biden presidency is no laughing matter. Gun owners of America takes note of Mr. Biden's promise to confiscate so-called assault weapons, though they don't think it will be as easy as it sounds. It's doubtful that the people who are buying all these guns, mags, and ammo are going to willingly surrender them to a, gun, to a Biden gun confiscation department run by Beto O'Rourke, Mr. Rice notes. For many in the firearms industry, the Biden campaign's rhetoric is personal. They called us the enemy, Mr. Rice says. He said, look, I spent 25 years in the Marines. I served active duty in the Middle East, and Joe Biden called me the enemy. Our industry is full of veterans, and he called us the enemy. We take him at his word. Now, the left may dismiss such talk as civil warmongering, yet the fact remains that Americans love guns. In fact, there are more privately owned firearms in this country than there are private citizens. Those firearms are distributed among 40% of American households, and that percentage is growing rapidly. On this issue, at least, Mr. Biden is badly out of step with American voters. According to Gallup, 56% of us want gun ownership rights to be relaxed or stay the same, and that number, too, is growing. And little wonder. He reminds us Admiral Yamamoto once said, you cannot invade mainland United States. There would be a rifle behind each blade of grass. He was right. From Virginia's yeoman farmers to the cowboys of Arizona, Americans have always prized self-reliance above all other virtues. And self-defense is integral to self-reliance. Events in the last few months seem to be reawakening that spirit of rugged individualism in the hearts of our countrymen. And he says not a moment too soon, either. Guns make America great, and America makes great guns. We just can't get enough of them. Again, this is Michael Warren Davis. I'll have a link to this article in the show notes. And again, I'm going to say, if you are in the market and you're trying to find a gun, I applaud you for, for shouldering that responsibility. Seriously, I think that's, that's a wise thing to do. But I would urge you, I would plead with you, please consider getting training. Good quality training. You don't know what you don't know until someone has shown you. And it's training that makes the difference between a citizen capable of self-reliance and being just a gun owner. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. And once again, welcome back, my fellow wrong thinker. I've been thinking a lot lately about the mental instability of American society. And by the way, I'm not doing this with the IVS because I'm above it all. I feel no anxiety whatsoever about next week's election. I feel more than I wish I did. But I also recognize there are a lot of people who are very deeply emotionally invested in what's going to happen next Tuesday. And for at least half of those people, they're not going to like the outcome. Yeah. I think we're going to see, you know, I mean, if you have friends who are right there on the edge, it's been a tough year already, you might want to keep a close eye on them. I'm not talking suicide watch necessarily, but just be there for them and uh, make sure that you're you're a shoulder that they can lean on or cry on if necessary. The uh, the mental instability in the public square is something that Jeff Minnick has written about at uh, intellectualtakeout.org. And he calls it the American Craxy, K-R-A-K-Z-Y. It's a portmanteau, but we'll explain uh, where it, where it comes from. He says, given the events of the past 10 months, preceded by four, four years of unceasing rage, media rage, about President Trump, Jeff Minnick says, I find it nearly impossible to choose a word summing up the headlines and articles I read every morning. On top of the pandemic and the summer riots, we are now wearing, nearing the end of the weirdest presidential campaign this nation has ever seen. And he says, I just can't put my finger on the adjective that best describes current events. So I invented a new word, craxy. Craxy is a portmanteau of crazy and cracked, with cracked having double meaning, fissured and insane. And beginning craxy with a K rather than a C adds further luster to this descriptive tag of American lunacy. Now, Jeff Minnick says, I was proud of this linguistic novelty for about three minutes until I googled craxy and found some gamers that already coined the word. Okay, good for them, but I'll nonetheless use craxy here to address our country's state of madness and instability. He says, this past two weeks have brought revelation after revelation from Hunter Biden's computer. His engagement with China, Burisma, and other shadowy governments and corporations, and the involvement of his father, presidential candidate Joe Biden, in these corrupt ventures. The hard drive which which Hunter abandoned at a repair shop also contains pictures of Hunter smoking crack and engaging in sex. And Rudy Giuliani reportedly turned some hard drive data from the laptop over to the Delaware State Police, over concerns of child endangerment. And he asks this question here. What sort of adult abandons his computer with this damning treasure trove of evidence? Did Hunter Biden stay so high for 90 days that he forgot to collect it? Who knows? All we can say is craxy. Meanwhile, CNN commentator and legal advisor Jeffrey Tubin was caught masturbating during a Zoom conference. CNN put him on a leave of absence. Many in the media rushed to defend Tubin, with some urging the New Yorker to end its investigation into his misconduct. Now, Jeff Minnick says, this caught my attention. He said, I have never Zoomed in my life, and so I'm left wondering if Zoom has some magical erotic powers. I'm also left to wonder why a middle-aged man would perform such an act in those circumstances. Again, craxy. Some of our governors have already destroyed Halloween this year, closing down haunted houses and parties on account of coronavirus, which must have left candy manufacturers and dentists unhappy. Now Dr. Fauci's going after Thanksgiving, telling his listeners that large family gatherings with out-of-town guests are unsafe. California has already issued a document of mandatory requirements for family gatherings. Driving a car can be unsafe. Taking a shower can be unsafe. Wearing a mask eight hours a day can be unsafe. Life doesn't come with a guarantee. 
Cancel Thanksgiving? Well, how about Christmas? How about the 4th of July in 2021? Craxy. Jeff Minnick says the sea of this year's troubles has left some acquaintances saddened or angry. The lockdown schools and churches, the masks, and the fear they see in so many others have taken a toll on the spirits of these friends. Meanwhile, the left continues to push ideas like critical race theory, packing the Supreme Court, and defunding the police, hoping to introduce Americans to the bright and shining uplands of socialism following the election. He says, when I read about some of these proposals, and worse, when I see their proponents screaming obscenities on video, crying when their candidates and ideas are rejected, and threatening to burn our country down, only one word comes to mind. Craxy. Recently recovered from a bout of coronavirus, one presidential candidate is still throwing two or three rallies a day, attended by thousands of supporters. The other remains at home, most of the time keeping the lid on, and depending on the media to do his work for him. When asked if he intends to pack the Supreme Court or for comments on his son's computer, this man waves away the questions as if they were bothersome gnats. Craxy. How is it possible that our great republic has made such a mess of elections? Because of idiotic measures like mail-in ballots, some commentators now believe it will take weeks after the election to determine a winner. Remember when we used to know our president within a day or two? Craxy. Enough! Jeff Minnick says, with this swirl of insanity, it's a wonder we aren't all bug house craxy. Sometime in the future, I imagine historians and psychologists will study 2020 and find that many Americans suffered some mental and spiritual damage from the fallout of this awful year. They'll discover that many of us gained weight, suffered bouts of depression, and permitted the government to snatch away some of our liberties out of fear. You and I, dear reader, he says, have a choice. We can give way to this infectious madness and allow it to engulf us, or we can hold fast to the good things, faith, family, friends, and a belief in our country, and emerge from this darkness stronger than ever. And so he says, let's leave Craxy to others and stick to the right path. I don't know, I thought that was a pretty, uh, that was a pretty good uh, summary of what we're facing. So a lot of people have wanted, uh, may find themselves wondering, what can I do? What should I do? And in a time where the statists really seem to outnumber us, I don't know how easy it's going to be to change people's minds. In fact, we may be at the point where changing other people's minds might be a waste of your precious moral energy. Alex R. Knight III, writing for EverythingVoluntary.com, has a voluntarist seven-point plan. I wanted to just share this, this with you, just seven core essentials, which he lists in what he believes to be descending order of importance from most to least effectual. These are things you can do, regardless of who's in power. Number one, spreading our ideas. He says, as most of us already know, comparatively few people will listen or agree to seriously learn about voluntarist philosophy. But a few will. Introducing the uninitiated and fellow travelers from less radical camps to voluntary is literature, videos, websites, and other media. That's the key to deprogramming statist prejudices and misconceptions about governments. Number two, agorism. That's a word my listeners will be familiar with. Barter, metals, cryptocurrencies, finding ways to avoid and subvert use of government-issued fiat currencies and the taxation associated with such use deprives those calling themselves the state of a great deal of power they might otherwise have over us. Every transaction made in any form which utilizes a non-state medium that ensures privacy and insulation against inflation, potential seizure, and taxation is a victory for liberty. Number three, homeschooling or unschooling, allowing young people or any person to seek an education outside of state-sanctioned mechanisms is absolutely critical 
to breaking the government-centered society paradigm that permeates its stultifying tax-financed institutions. If the future is to be one of freedom, he says the current newest generation and all those that follow must have the widest possible opportunity to learn about the real benefits of liberty, free markets, and sovereign autonomy. Freeing students from the moral and intellectual prison of state brainwashing is a must. Number four, avoiding government employ in all forms, from cop to postal worker, from school teacher to CIA agent. Government institutions require willing manpower even more than they require tax revenues. When people are unwilling to work for government both directly or as outside contractors who provide supplemental goods and services, the state simply cannot function. Then the free market must take over. And that end result is the goal of every voluntarist. Number five is non-voting. He says that should be self-explanatory. The only vote possible for a voluntary society is a non-vote in all political elections. In fact, non-registration sends an even clearer message to those who wish to control us, and it means you end up on one less government list, too. Number six, guns and prepping. He says, well, I would think most of us want a wholly peaceful transition from a coercive state-centric society to a free one. To ignore what history has shown us regarding governments would be tragic and naive, if not suicidal. It is imperative we provide for our own defense with weapons. And by the way, stockpiling food and drink in cans and jugs, free-dried foods, MREs, personal hygiene products, medicines, and so forth, solar panels, windmills and generators can make us less dependent. And that's the goal, being less dependent on those outside entities. And finally, number seven, living life. He says this may actually be most fitting in the number one position. He says life is finite and precious. We only have so much of it. And how much? We know not. None of the above is to suggest squandering it with obsessive activism, unless that's what floats your particular boat. Instead, he says these are suggestions that once implemented can more or less become part of a passive routine requiring little to no effort beyond certain initial thresholds. He says it's important to recognize at all times, even under the increasingly intolerable yoke of the state, our existence still contains many pleasures and wonders to enjoy to the fullest. You'll find this linked in the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. Might want to spread this one around. I think these are some great ideas. This is The Brian Hyde Show.